0: Exodus 21, and we're going to read a good portion of this chapter. So I would encourage you all uh, today, I don't know if you're the kind of person that takes notes, and I'm not telling you you have to take notes, of course, but if you are, there's going to be a lot of scriptures over the next several weeks on the topic that we're talking about. And there are certain scriptures that would be like really important because they really explain it. And I'll kind of point some of those out. If you just want to jot down a handful of Scriptures through this study and go back and study them later, that would be good. But we're going to start right here in Exodus 20, verse 1. We're going to read a good portion of this, so just follow with me. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath to keep it, day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. For the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy strangers within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested in the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Thou shalt not kill... Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God is come to prove you, and that his, that his fear may be before your faces, that you sin not. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. We're going to stop right there. This is... This is... Uh, Where the law was given to God, I mean, by God to Moses on Mount Sinai. And that's the account of it right there. That included the Ten Commandments, which we just read, which you're familiar with. And as I said, we're going to take our time and study this. And my prayer is that in this study that God will answer those questions. Why? Why the law? Uh, What was the purpose of it? What does it mean to me today as a New Testament believer? I'm not a Hebrew. You know, I'm not part of of what was going on there. What was God's purpose in it and his purpose in it for me? And that God would give us a greater understanding, like every time we go to his word, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate us. And reveal to us Christ and the things of God and the Word of God. And I don't want to be afraid of things like... You know, we, we studied a while back on Sunday school, we studied the book of Revelation, right? And a lot of times, that's the kind of thing you kind of mention it here and there, but it seems like you never get to really study it. So let's, we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Revelation. What well, we did. And it's not scary. It's God's Word. There's some scary things that happened during the Tribulation... But God is not scary. His Word's not scary. And sometimes we think about a subject like the law. And I'm not the expert on the law. I'm studying, okay? I'm studying the same Bible that you have. And I'm going to bring what God gives me as I understand it from the Word of God. But uh, we're going to roll our sleeves up and study this and, and talk about it. And it's uh, my prayer is that God would give us a greater appreciation and thanksgiving to the Lord because Jesus fulfilled it. And that would be one of the main things. What He accomplished for us on the cross. How He fulfilled the law. What He obtained for sinful men. The Bible says, not by the blood of of goats and, and bulls and so forth, but by His own blood He has entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So, Blood of bulls and goats would refer to the old covenant. That would refer to the, the law and the sacrifices during the law of Moses. But Jesus fulfilled it and he obtained, past tense, Hebrews nine twelve eternal redemption for us. It, and so studying the law, is, I pray, is going to give us a greater appreciation for what we have in Christ. And what the Lord fulfilled for us. How he he fulfilled his promise to reconcile men, to save men, to forgive men, uh, to give eternal life to men. And it's all brought through Jesus Christ to receive by all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile. These people that were standing at the mount in the Jewish race, all the way through us who were not Jews. And Christ is the Lord and Savior of all. Okay, now I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians. Today, I think we're going to do sort of a uh, an introduction and an overview, but we are going to get into some things about Christ fulfilling the law. But let's look at this. I want us to start right off the bat in Galatians 3.11. And we're going to skip around, okay, in this chapter. Galatians 3.11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, I said there will be some really important Scriptures. I mean, they're all important because it's God's Word, but if you just wanted to hit the top, I guess, most telling Scriptures on, on this study, this would be one of them. Okay? But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now that, by the way, is not something new that just came along in the New Testament. That was an Old Testament scripture from Habakkuk, okay? Uh, Abraham believed God, that's faith, and it was counted unto him. God imputed to him for righteousness. So that's not a new thought, okay? But but just keep in mind what we're talking about with the law. Now let's skip down to verse 19 of the same chapter. We're going to read 19 and then skip down again. Wherefore then serveth the law. We just read, by the works of the law shall no, no uh, flesh be justified in the sight of God. Wherefore, verse 19, then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till or until the seed should come. That seed is Christ. Okay, that seed is Jesus until the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. The mediator was Moses. Verse 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. And I don't want to. This is not the topic of today. I'm trying to get our minds and thoughts going uh, about the law and where it stands. Where it where we are in the picture and what God's intent for the thing given was. Okay? If there could have been a law that was given that could have made given life to men, eternal life, spiritual life, then it would have God would have given it. So he's saying that it could not. That the, and then let's skip down to verse 24 and 25 and we'll be through in Galatians for right now. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor, to bring us unto Christ. The law was that. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Okay. These scriptures are really telling. These scriptures are important. These scriptures uh, give us more of an understanding about God's intent and purpose of the law, the weakness of the law, the strength of the law, and so forth and where we stand. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. When you pick up your Bible and we look at Old Testament, we we divide it and, and rightly so is Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament really as far as the the Scriptures and the books is about four times as long as the New Testament. Roughly. Four times as much volume to it. But I think we are, we're wrong to assume that everything in the Old Testament... Testament does mean covenant, by the way. To think that everything in that first part of our Bible before we read in Matthew, okay? To think that is all under the law. Because it was not. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There was roughly 2,600 years. 2,600 years in the history of man from Adam in the garden, okay? And God's dealing with man and creating man. About 2,600 years, I'm giving rough figures, about 2,600 from the time man was on the earth created in the image of God and was accountable to God for how he lived and believed or didn't believe. And 2,600 years between that and and the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. There was actually more time in the Old Testament not under the law than, quote, under the law. So that's telling. That's, and I'll tell you why I think it's important in a little while. So about 2,600 years from Adam to the giving of the law to Moses, through Moses, on Mount Sinai. Who lived during that time? Did anybody know God during that time? Did anybody worship God? Was anybody saved during that time? Was anybody godly, holy, righteous? Yes. Abel. Start with Abel. Righteous Abel, he's called in the Scriptures. And it says in the book of Hebrews, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And God uh, blessed it and still speaks of Abel today. His sacrifice. Who else lived during this time? Enoch. Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. Before he was was translated, he had this testimony that he pleased God. So he had to have walked by faith. Because we've read two scriptures in Galatians, Old and New Testament, that the the man is justified by faith before God. The just shall live by faith. So Enoch walked with God before the law of Moses was given. Abraham. We tend to think Abraham was like under the law. He was not. He lived at least 440 years, probably closer to 500 years before the law was given. And he is the father of us all that are of the faith of Jesus Christ. The father of us all by faith. Isaac, Jacob, Job, who feared God and shunned evil. Right. These people, Noah, they have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Right. Perfect in his generations and so forth. So I'm making that point to let you know uh, that there was this big period through the history of man, starting with when God created mankind in his image in the Garden of Eden. There There have been men and women that knew God and walked with God, and they did so by faith. And there have been men and women that did, didn't know God before the law, during the dispensation of the law of Moses, and since the law. And the common thread is grace by faith through it all. Now, that's not even today's sermon. We're going to talk more of that more about that in, in some weeks ahead. Now, so the law is given to, uh, on Mount Sinai. We read it in Exodus. And the period in the, in the Old Testament between... Uh, the time of the giving of the law till the time of Christ's coming and fulfilling it was about fourteen hundred years. So the time when the law was actually in effect, so to speak, was about fourteen hundred years. Did anybody godly live during that time? Well, Samuel, David, Moses, right? David a man after God's heart, all the prophets, every one of the prophets Okay, John the Baptist still lived during that time. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, lived during that time. Okay, it's just interesting to think about it. So everything in the first part of your Bible is not under the law, although we call it Old Testament as part of the Old Covenant. Specifically, I think with Abraham, that covenant that was made with him. So, and then the time since the law, again, these are rough figures, roughly 2,000 years since Christ fulfilled the law. And, and the Lord literally fulfilled it. And so listen to this. There have always been laws. When we say the law, typically you and I, and, and rightly so, we think of the law of Moses, we, which includes the Ten Commandments and so forth. But God has always had laws for men right off the bat when he told Adam to to dress the garden and tend it and to keep it. And to be fruitful and multiply. And when He told him to, uh, for example, to of all the trees of the, of the garden, you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of, the, of good and evil in the midst of the garden, thou shalt not eat it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. 2,600 years before the law given on Mount Sinai, God's giving laws and commandments to men to live by. Okay? So... The law didn't just start with the law. God has always had laws that He's given to men. And I thought this was interesting. Just in, just in uh, the book of Romans, just in the book of Romans, there are six laws that are mentioned. Not six specific commands within those laws. Six laws. Okay, and I'm going to read them to you just quickly. The law of Moses, which is, includes the Ten Commandments which we read. The law simply as a principle, where the law says even even the Gentiles that don't have the law have a conscience, and it's a law unto itself, right to, to them. That's a law that the Bible talks about, just in Romans, the law of faith, which we've talked about, which includes the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that the righteous shall live by. The law of sin, which the scriptures talk about, the law of the mind. It said, Paul talks about in Romans chapter seven, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's also in Romans. So understand this. So we need to be careful. I need to be careful as a pastor and we need to be careful as Christians. When we when we use the word law talking about the Lord, did we clarify what we're talking about? Are you talking about the law of sin and death? Are you talking about the law of Moses? Are you talking about the law of the Spirit of Life in Christ Jesus? Or are you talking about law just as a principle that God gives laws to men? I think it, it matters. It does matter uh, how, how, that we that we understand that perfectly. But the the law served the law of Moses. So when we're studying, what we're studying is the law of Moses. Okay, that Levitical law or the or the uh, you know this Old Testament Mosaic law. And it was given for a specific time to a specific people, and it it ran its course. It, it served its purpose. It was given for the to Moses on the Mount Sinai and fulfilled by Jesus Christ at His first coming. When Jesus came to this earth, He actually, literally, perfectly fulfilled it. Now I want you to sink in, that to sink in for just a moment, because. Nobody could keep the law. The best of the best could not keep the law. Those that really loved God and wanted to keep the law couldn't keep the law. Nobody. It, it says in Acts, Stephen was preaching his sermon where he got martyred. He says, uh, your, your fathers which were given the law and could not keep it. Nobody can keep it. When Jesus came, He fulfilled it. He didn't simply stomp on it. And say, you know what? We don't need this anymore. He he fulfilled it perfectly. All of the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in Christ, and he had to fulfill it. It had to be fulfilled. And I want you to to uh, to read this. I want you to uh, turn with me and read in Matthew chapter five. This would be another one of those scriptures you you want to. To take notes on and have uh, to go back and study this at some point. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Jesus says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law. That's important. Think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. God's not going to start something and halfway get through it and, and throw in the towel. When He first gave the law, there was an intent to fulfill it. All these years later, but it was intended to be fulfilled through His man, the man Christ Jesus, through the Son of God who came to be the perfect man, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, It was always intended to be fulfilled and it was fulfilled. It wasn't intended just to be destroyed and say, you know, we're tired of this now. Let's move on to something better. Jesus is better. Everything in Christ is better. We studied the book of Hebrews. Better priest, a better priesthood, a better covenant, better promises, a better sacrifice, a better everything is better in Jesus. But he came, he said, not to destroy the, the law or the prophets but to fulfill. So what does that word mean? Fulfill. That word means to satisfy. To finish. Not the same as destroy. I came to fulfill it. He came to satisfy, to finish, to complete. Because there were some loose ends that had to be tied up. Nobody but Christ could tie them up. Nobody else could fit the bill. Nobody else was holy. Nobody else could do. A sinner couldn't fulfill a holy law. Only a holy God could could fulfill a holy law. And so to complete, to execute, to perfect. And so listen to this verse. Another one that's that's going to be one of those big scriptures you want to keep. Romans 10.4 For Christ, I'm just going to read it. For Christ is the end of the law. (laughs) Christ himself is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There's faith again. Faith is the string and a common thread in a man's right relationship with God from Adam till you and me. And will continue to be as long as men are born and live and die on this earth. Faith and God's grace. All right. So uh, Christ is the end of the law. What does the word end mean? End means the conclusion of an act or state. The termination of a purpose. The result. The uttermost. And I like that because Christ is the end of the law, okay? Because He fulfilled it. He was the uttermost. There was nothing beyond Him when it came to uh, righteousness or the righteousness of the law and so forth. He completed it. He satisfied it. He fulfilled it. And thereby, He is the end. Personally, Christ is the end of the law. He fulfilled it. He is the uttermost. There's none beyond Him or past Him in holiness, righteousness, power, goodness. It's pleasing to God that could satisfy God. He did always those things that pleased the Father. And so uh, he he perfectly fulfilled it. Now, the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, is comprised of different parts. So it's this one law, lots of commandments, but there's almost like different uh, sections to it. And these are in no particular order. But within the law of Moses... We just read the Ten Commandments, but the law of Moses is bigger than the Ten Commandments, all right? All, basically, the whole first books of the Bible, not first. When you start from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's really speaking about laying out more of the commands, the precepts, the statutes. Let me just read this real quickly. Exodus twenty-four, twelve. The Lord said unto Moses, come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments, plural, which I have written that thou mayest teach them and you may teach these laws to the people. Okay? So what is the law? Uh, what is the law of Moses comprised of? Within the law of Moses, there's a sacrificial law. In other words, there was the law of the sacrifices, right? Remember, we did a study on uh, a long time back, on probably a year ago, on the altar. Remember that study? We talked about the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice where burnt offerings were brought to make atonement for sins of the people. And so within the law of Moses, the Levitical law, there are the sacrificial laws. They would include those those types of things. Um, There was also the ceremonial law, which would include like the the Jewish feasts, right? Feast of tabernacles, the feast of trumpets, the different feasts and holy days there were kept there was a civil law it's very important within the within the law of Moses there was civil law just like we have civil laws and really it was to govern the Hebrew people God's standards for them to live by how they were to treat one another what do you do if somebody breaks this law uh, everything I mean it was very detailed you read through the old testament you're like he's telling them dietary laws what to eat what not to eat right don't eat the blood. And, uh, and don't eat a, 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 a hoofed animal if it's not uh, cloven in the hoofs or if it doesn't chew its cud. And we're like, okay, let's get to some. We might get, think this is kind of ridiculous. But it's not ridiculous. God gave it. He gave it to a specific people for a specific reason. There were laws on sanitation. How were they to clean up the camp? And so there wasn't just a uh, sewer. Sewage everywhere. He says, because the Lord God, God walks among you. And I, and I, you know, I want to be a clean place when I come and visit my people. Uh, everything from uh, how would you treat your servants? How would you treat a slave? How do you treat your neighbor? What do you do if you found your neighbor's ox falling in a ditch? You're going to turn the other way or you're going to help it? How do you treat animals? Treat them humanely. Don't muzzle the ox. He's got to eat some food so he can be your worker. You know what I mean? God covered everything. Laws of leprosy. What do you do if you have leprosy? What do you do if you think you have leprosy? How much time do you need to cleanse it? Uh, And and things like that before you can move back in that house or something like that. Everything. y'all. Even how to treat the poor. When you reap your harvest of your fields, leave a little bit. Don't go over it with a vacuum and a fine tooth comb and get every last grain of wheat. Leave some for the poor people. Because God loves the poor and He's going to take care of them. Let them come pick through your fields a little bit and eat. Okay? God's merciful. So all these laws were given, but they weren't just nitpicking like we might think. Who are we to judge God? He gave the law. Okay? He gave the law. And so within the law of Moses, there's the sacrificial laws, the ceremonial laws, there is a civil law for daily lives of the Hebrews, just like we have laws in our land. And there, there was... The moral law. This is important. The moral law. The ten, which included the Ten Commandments. okay, Which we read to start with today. Now. I want to say this. And this will be a whole sermon coming up in, in this series at some point. But does any of that have anything to do with me today? I would say. With types and shadows. And foreshadowing Christ. Yes. Very much so. But I also believe. The moral law aspect of the law is the moral aspect of God and here's what I mean by that we're not under the law but God still feels the same about murder as he did when he gave that law he still feels the same about murder before he gave that law because Cain killed his brother Abel and he was guilty your brother's bloods crying out to me you're cursed Abel I mean Cain because you killed your brother Abel. That was twenty six hundred years before the law. The, the point of that is, we're not under the law in the sense that that it's our 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 path to righteousness or anything like that. But God still feels the same about idolatry. And I'll tell you this: that the Bible, t- that Jesus Himself. Now, I have not actually studied this. I've heard this from other commentaries. That Jesus himself actually reinstated or reinstated or, instituted or confirmed all of the Ten Commandments himself. In other words, in the New Testament, through his own mouth, he re-established and confirmed all the Ten Commandments except the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man and not man for the Sabbath, he said. But he, he took all the Ten Commandments and didn't say... These are ridiculous now. No need for those anymore. He did not say that. And God still feels the same about those things. And there weren't, I guess what I'm saying is that the the moral law was not just limited to those contained in the law of Moses. The moral law, what I'm calling the moral law, was not just limited to the time or the dispensation of the Levitical law. And, And again, it's very, very important. And I'll tell you this that the Lord Jesus, and we're going to read this, actually elevated or sh- made stricter the moral law. So the thing, let that sink in for a minute. When we just say, oh, no, grace, grace, grace. And it's cheap grace, not the real grace. Cheap grace that's so popular in our day. And Jesus took the moral aspects of God that were contained and enumerated In the Old Testament law. And he heightened them. Or made them stricter. And I want you to read this with me. In Matthew chapter 5. If you're still there. And let's read. Verses 21 and 22. And then we're going to skip down. I know you've heard this before. But Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard. That it was said of them of old time. Thou shalt not kill. For where was that spoken? We know for sure it was spoken. In the Ten Commandments. Okay. You've heard of those old timers say, thou shalt not kill, and whoever shall kill shall be in the danger of the judgment. But I say, it's God of grace and mercy, and he is that. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say thou fool shall be in the danger of hellfire. Skip down to verse 27. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, that was spoken as part of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. So, wow, you say, well, that, man, that wasn't even part of the Ten Commandments. You understand what I'm saying? The Ten Commandments didn't say that. If you call your brother a fool, or you're angry with that, or hate him without a cause, you're in danger of hellfire and the judgment. The Ten Commandments didn't say that. Jesus said that in the New Testament. And I want to read one more. So it's it's confirmed by the Lord, the moral laws what we're talking about now. We know Christ fulfilled the whole thing. He fulfilled the sacrificial part. The ceremonial part, the civil part, and the moral part. He is the end of the law. Okay? But He did not just sweep it all under the rug and say, let's just move on to something else. God's really not like that, by the way. I'm saying, God, Jesus didn't say that. It's really okay if you murder her. He didn't do that at all. He did what we just read right there. Okay? And the Bible says that, that... uh, this is the new covenant that I will make with them after those days. It's in Jeremiah and then it it's stated twice in the book of Hebrews. I will write my, I will put my, uh, write my laws on their minds and put them in their hearts. So, and I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus took the laws and I believe it's the moral law. I don't believe it's the ceremonial law of the feast. I don't believe it's the uh, civil law of the you know, uh, how, uh, how you do with a leper or something like that. I will write my laws in their hearts and put them in their minds. This is through Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is for all those born of the Spirit of God. He takes those moral laws and not, not on ta- tables of stone, Paul says, but in the inward man of the heart and he puts them in your heart. And we feel a lot more guilty. I never killed anybody, but more more I wanted to, bam, the conviction of the Holy Spirit because it's written in my heart. And God says, see, you need my righteousness. You need my forgiveness. I fulfilled it for you. Rest in me. Come to me. Don't try to keep that on your own. Come to me. Rest in me. But it's written there, and it's written in my mind as well. And so He didn't just sweep it under the rug and said... Oh, that old thing about not murder, not committing idolatry. That's really insignificant now. It's very significant now. Because the Bible says, Paul says it at least twice. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, flee idolatry. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But we're told to keep it in the New Testament. Not to be our righteousness. Not to prove ourselves before God that we're righteous. We're righteous by the grace of God, by faith alone in the righteous one, Jesus. But He is a righteous and a holy God, and we're to be Christ-like. You were children of darkness; we heard it in Sunday school. You're children of light. Wherefore walk as children of light. Well, a child of light's going to walk morally according to the precepts of God, who is a moral God. We're not going to say that stupid. Now I'm under grace. Child of God has been born of the Spirit of God. Holy Spirit is holy. And He is going to be working in me to make me holy. I'm not holy because I keep the commandments. I'm holy because a holy Savior has saved me and pronounced me as being holy and, and lift the, lifted the condemnation from my life. And now be holy in all manner of what? Conversation. That's my lifestyle and practice. That's what I'm working out with the Holy Spirit is working in me. You understand what I'm saying? I don't do the Ten Commandments to be saved, nor did they in the Old Testament. But it's important that we know that Paul said this. So it wasn't just Jesus. And I'm just quoting this from Ephesians 6, 2. And then we're going to move on. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. That says that it may go well with you. Basically, keep this one and it'll go well with you. That's a New Testament epistle written to New Testament believers. And I'm just picking one out. You can find a lot more. Where he says, honor your mother and father. It's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't the first commandment. It was the first commandment with a promise attached to it. That it would go well with you. That's reinstated. Paul is telling, the Holy Spirit is telling, the church in Ephesus is telling every believer, honor your mother and father. That's not subject to change because we're New Testament Christians. You will understand that. It's really important. It's one of the reasons that I believe the Lord has given me this promise. Series. Why is it important to us to study on the law? Because our day is characterized. We can we pick up the Bible and we can find pretty much where we are in the Bible. We know we're New Testament. We know we're after it was all written. We know we're before the book of Revelation. We're right in there before, tucked in there, getting close. Our, case, our day is characterized morally and spiritually by what? Deception. Not the only characteristic, but a spiritual deception. Jesus said when they ask him, what's it going to be like in those days you're talking about? Take heed that no man deceive you. Bam. First thing he says. And he goes on to talk about it a great deal. And one of the is characterized by falling away from the faith, it's characterized by. S- seducing spirits and doctrines of devils and another Jesus and another gospel and another spirit besides the Holy Spirit. But it's all under the name of Jesus. It's all under the name of the Bible. It's all under the name of the Holy Spirit. And yet it's not. We don't have to look very far to see that. There's some churches you can go to and look right now and you say, what's happening in that service is not the Holy Spirit. You know it the doctrine that's being preached is another gospel. They're talking about Jesus. They're talking about heaven. They're talking about knowing God. But that doctrine that they're preaching in that gospel is another gospel. Well, one of the perversions or the twistings of the truth, two of them, have to do directly with the law in our day. Not the only perversions. You can find all kinds of false doctrines in our day. But two of the main ones would be like the Judaizers in Paul's day. And we're going to have, there's no way to get around it. If we're studying the law in its place in our day, we're going to have to study a good bit of Galatians. We started out, second passage we read in Galatians 3, right? Keep that in mind. So what did the Judaizers do? The Judaizers came to believers. Paul brought the gospel to the church at Galatia. They were saved. All that heard and believed were saved. A church started. A pastor was raised up. A New Testament, Spirit-filled, Holy Ghost, Spirit-filled, wonderful church was there. After Paul left and moved on to wherever God sent him, the Judaizers came in. The Judaizers were a specific group of people. And they came in and their gospel, their message was, and I'm, I'm simplifying it for our purposes, their message, as far as we can tell from Galatians, was all that belief in Jesus is fine and dandy. But you have to keep the law of Moses. You're still under the law of Moses. That's a lie. That is a false gospel. It is Christ, faith in Jesus, the grace of God plus nothing equals salvation. It is not Christ plus the Jewish, the Mosaic law and my attaining to it and keeping it equals salvation. That is a, a doctrine of a devil and the Judaizers, listen—they were never called. But it's interesting—they were never called legalists. They were never called Pharisees. They weren't. They were Judaizers. They weren't saved. The Judaizers were not born-again people. The Galatians had a big responsibility, which they failed in. They should not have heeded that, should they? So Paul starts that whole book by saying, though me or an angel from heaven and gives you and comes to you and brings you another gospel, you don't then the one you've heard. You reject it, don't take heed. And he repeats it. Though me or an angel from heaven comes, don't you believe it? They did believe it. So he had to basically go back there and straighten them out. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, one good thing is we have the book of Galatians and it helps us to study that. But my point is, I'm talking about we live in an age of deception. One could be, and there's deceptions having to do with the law. Not all deceptions do, but some do. And a big one. The Judaizers definitely had their deception, their false doctrine, had to do with a twisting of Christianity with a a bent, an unrighteous, unbiblical bent to the law. To bring bent men under it. Heat men under it. We're saved by grace through faith. No, you've got to keep the law. I can't keep the law. No, you have to keep it. If you're going to be righteous before God, if you're going to go to heaven... You are under it and, and keeping people back under it. They should have said no. OK, somebody comes in here preaching a false doctrine. We're responsible to reject it. But the point is, they said yes, they, they were troubled. Uh, Paul was concerned. I've almost got to birth you again in this gospel. Let me ask you some questions where you say about, you know, the perfection of the law and so forth. All right, so that was a perversion according to the law. We'll look more at that in weeks ahead. Then there's a perversion of the law the other way within Christianity. And that's what we're talking about, the moral law. The moral law where we're living in the age, and I'll give you two of these. These two both fall in this camp over here. Okay? Legalist. They were never called legalists, by the way. I think uh, John Wesley said it's an idiotic term. It really has no meaning. It's just a phrase thrown out for people that don't want to obey God for the most part. And I agree with you. Uh, they don't want to be holy and, and obedient to the Lord. <clears throat> but on this camp over here, we have those that want nothing to do with the law. And there's the hyper-grace. We've heard of it. At least heard the name. Google it. Go look at it. Find out. You know, we can do a teaching on it sometime. What is a hyper grace? It's about 20 points. uh, Main, consistent teachings that they have that are wrong. Okay? Hyper grace. And in that camp, I would also put new covenant theology. Well, wait a minute. Aren't we part of the new covenant? Absolutely. We don't believe in new covenant theology. It's its own theology all to itself. It totally rejects the Old Testament. It ridicules the Old Testament. It uh, What you're going to find over here is the perversion of, it, of teaching an unbiblical, I would call it an exaggerated grace. Grace all by itself, just true grace, is amazing and magnificent and wonderful. As it could ever be, and I could never fathom it completely. Okay? But I don't have to exaggerate it to, to be something unbiblical. I don't need to exaggerate grace towards something that's not real grace. It's exaggerated, it's perverted, it's twisted. And that is what, one of the things of the hyper and in the hyper grace movement, they ascribe to grace, or credit to grace, I guess you would say, with the Bible. Doesn't even credit to grace. It's unbiblical. It's not scriptural. And it and this in these camp this camp over here, whether it's the new covenant theology, hyper grace, or the like, okay, they will minimize and demean and ridicule just simple obedience to Christ. You'll find that. I know it. You'll find it. Other believers in other churches have found it. They ridicule simple obedience, what the New Testament tells a Christian to do. They they ridicule it. They demean it. They demean the law. They demean anything to do pretty much with the Old Testament. Unless it's specifically speaking of Jesus, I remember reading a book by a man we would all know. And he says there's nothing relevant to the New Testament believer in the Old Testament. Unless it specifically speaks of Christ, now I know the whole whole Bible speaks of Christ. Search the Scriptures, and then you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. The whole Old Testament speaks the whole thing. But he's thinking if it doesn't specifically speak of Jesus, then it has no relevance to a New Testament believer. That is a lie. God gave us His Word. It is forever settled in heaven. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for the man of God. This is the last epistle that Paul wrote way late in the game, so to speak, in the writing of the Bible. And he's saying it's all profitable. Okay? So I don't have time to get into that too much, but I'm saying why is it relevant for us to study the law and how it fits to us today It's very relevant. Because there are these in this camp that ridicule such things as being holy. Oh, you're so holy. And they mean it in a sarcastic way. They mean it not in a good way. My Savior says in His Word, Be you holy. Peter says on the auction of the Holy Spirit, Be you holy. They they ridicule and minimize things like that. Uh, But Jesus never ridiculed the law. We're going to study real soon one of these Sunday mornings in this series their weaknesses. The Bible tells us the weaknesses of the law. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. We about opened with that this morning. It definitely has weaknesses, but the Lord never ridicules, the Bible never demeans the law or ridicules the law or mocks it. I'll give you an example: of this camp over here. Got the Judaizers, they're not called legalists, they're not called Pharisees, like you and I would be called today, but some over here, but they were wrong, okay? Over here in this camp, you'll have somebody, let's say you speak to another believer or someone that says they're a believer and claims to be, and you'd say, "Man, what are you doing watching that filthy movie? they say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Who are you to, to judge me? I'm not under the law. This is where we are, y'all. What would you answer to Him? What would you say to Him? Don't set that evil thing before your I'm not under the law, the law. What are you doing judging me like that? I'm under grace. Well, don't ever forget this, y'all. The Lord Jesus didn't come and shed His blood and die and rise again and reconcile us to Himself individually and forgive us of all our sins. He didn't save us To sin, he saved us from sin. He saved me from it. So, if sin's over here, and I was part of that, indulging in everything, says in Ephesians 2, we're by nature children of wrath, fulfilling the lust of the flesh. We all walked according to the course of this world, and I was part of that. And he came, and and my eyes were open, praise God, through the preaching of the gospel. I said, I need a savior. And Jesus said, I'm him. Give, give Yourself to me. And I say, yes, Lord, forgive me. And He does. I give my life to You. doesn't mean I'm perfect from that day forward. But I'm saved. And He saved me from sin. Because sin separates from God. It still does in the New Testament, by the way. Sin separates from God. So for me to say, hey, man, I, don't judge me. I'm not under the law. If I want to watch this movie, if I want to listen to that music, if I want to go to this place, if I want to fornicate, if I want to do this... Hey, I'm not under the law. You're judging me. Well, Jesus didn't save me to sin. He saved me from sin. He saved me from sin. I've failed many times and have sinned many times since He saved me from my sin. And He's cleansed me every time and forgiven me when I go confess and repent. Okay? But still, the lifestyle is to be a lifestyle of holiness. It is a separation unto the Lord. And so what shall we Paul says in Romans six? What shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. But that is the attitude of some here. I'm under grace and you're just judging me. And you're an old legalist and you're an old Pharisee. You start talking to them about tithing. You start talking to them about praying without ceasing. You start talking to them about honoring their mother and father. You start talking to them about being holy and separating from unbelievers. And not being unequally yoked together. And they're going to say, you're a Pharisee. I'm under grace. Well, guess what I am too. I'm under grace. By faith. I'm under the blood of Jesus. And the grace of God which has appeared unto all men, which brings salvation. It says it teaches us. That's really the grace of God. Titus 2.11 teaches us to to deny all ungodliness and worldliness. And to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That means right now. All right? Titus 2.11 through 13. So what is my point, y'all? The point is, it is important for us to study the law and to see the moral aspect of the law is still pertinent to us. Not that I keep it to be righteous. I keep it because God's called me to keep it. And by the holiness of God in this new birth, by His grace, we can walk in it. We can walk in that. And so, uh, I want to read this real quickly and just talk about We're going to to, uh, be bringing this to a close here. I just want to... uh, you know what? I don't think I'm gonna read that. I want to read, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter seven. Again, we can't we can't study the law either without looking at Romans, okay? No way, it's just too important in this. I want you to read with me Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Wherefore the law is, what does your Bible say? The law is holy. Paul is saying this. The Pharisee who was saved, who thought he knew God but didn't know God, then came to really know Christ on the Damascus Road. And later in his life, he says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Look at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. One of these these sermons in this series is going to be don't blame the law. Paul makes it clear right there. The law is holy, good, and just. And spiritual, the problem is me. I am carnal. Sold under sin. And the law could not fix that. The law could point it out to you. And the law could even point you to Christ. It's our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But the law couldn't in itself couldn't fix that. Alright? And so... This is important. What does it mean that the law is holy? It means pure, sacred, blameless. So is, is the, does the Bible ridicule the law? Does it kind of step and grind its foot in the law's face and say Jesus is, is, uh, just turns and mocks the law? No, He does not. He fulfilled it. He finished it. It came from God, and every good and perfect gift comes from God. He says right here, Paul, a man saved by grace, the, the, whole, the law is holy, it means pure, sacred, blameless, consecrated, most holy. That's what that means. and the commandment is holy and just and good. What does that mean? just? it means equitable in character, innocent, holy, righteous. And then in verse fourteen, for we know that the law is even spiritual. I've heard people say in my own ear sitting in the congregation. Oh, the, the law is just the flesh. What? It's not. God gave it. It's a good gift. It's a perfect gift. I know there are those that try to keep the law in the flesh. But they don't have the Spirit of God in them. They're going to stumble and fall. They're not going to be able to keep it. I understand that. But it says the law is spiritual. What does the word spiritual mean? Non-carnal. Divinely. Supernatural. The law of Moses is non-carnal. Divinely supernatural finds its roots in the Holy Spirit. That's the actual definition. Finds its roots in the Holy Spirit. So I just don't want us to get this bad taste in our mouth about the law. I'm not under the law. I'm not under the law. As a New Testament believer, washed in the blood of Jesus, I am under grace. I'm saved by grace through faith. I'm not under the law. As a, as a Gentile, in one sense, we were never under the law. I mean, in one sense, you and I never had this burden of the ceremonial law of leprosy and all these different things. We were never under that, okay? But the moral law is still something that does pertain to our lives because it's a, it's a picture of God and, and what He expects and requires of His people and how we're to live. And it separates us from those that don't know God you understand what I'm saying? Our behavior, our thoughts are pure. We're not thinking thoughts of hatred even. We're not, not only are we not murdering people, we're not, our mind is renewed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we love our enemies in our heart of hearts. He's taken His laws and commandments, plural, and written them in our hearts and put them in our minds to where it's part of us. It's not an exterior law. It's just out here and it's over me. It's part of our hearts. It's it's written in our hearts. And it's fulfilled by Christ who fulfilled it. And if I walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'll be fulfilling this holy life of Christ in me, the hope of glory. you understand the the point of that? And so, uh, all of the law and the prophets, and I'm closing right here. All of the law and the prophets, all of the animal sacrifices, All of the tabernacle and temple worship. Remember what we studied in Hebrews, and we studied in our the life of Moses, the tabernacle and the building of it, and, and everything. Oh, this foreshadowed Christ, and this foreshadowed Christ. All of it, the holy days, the feast, all of it typified Christ and pointed to a coming Savior that would fulfill it. That was one of the main purposes of the law. That was one of the main purposes, and Jesus, our Savior. And he alone could satisfy it and fulfill it and did satisfy it and fulfill it. Thereby, by fulfilling it, not by taking a machine gun and shooting it off, by fulfilling it, keeping it perfectly inwardly where nobody could see in the hidden man of the heart and outwardly keeping the law perfectly, thereby ended it. It finished its course. It was, it was foreshadowing Christ when it was given here. Christ came and finished it here. In Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And so, uh, that the righteousness of this, and I'll, I'll close with this, that the righteousness of the law, there was a righteousness to the law. But our, our righteousness has to exceed uh, that of even the Pharisees. But the, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled where? In us. This is Romans 8:4. 4. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. It's a born again person. There is a righteousness to the law. It's not stupid. It's not ridiculous. There's a righteousness to the law. And it's fulfilled in us when we in Christ are walking in the Spirit of God and not after the flesh. <clears throat> Dee, you can come. And while she's coming, y'all, I want, I want to read this from a, a commentary that I read, and we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Remember we read from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5? Okay, those, those things, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. This commentary on that says that, that Jesus makes it clear that He had not come to destroy the law. That is that the New Testament gospel is not contrary nor contradictory to the Old Testament law. But people in this camp, the hypergrace, the New Covenant theology, they believe it is. The Old Testament law is not contradictory to the Old Testament, I mean to the New Testament gospel. Rather, the New Testament gospel is the ultimate fulfillment of it. And that is a world of difference in that. They're not two enemies that are just banging heads like Satan and Jesus. Okay? Uh, Or salvation by works and salvation by grace. Those are at odds. They'll never meet. But the the New Testament Gospel is not contradictory to the Old Testament. It is a fulfillment of it. It is a fulfillment of it. It's ultimate fulfillment. Okay? Listen, not of the ceremonial part and all, but of the spiritual intent of the law. Because the law, Paul said, was our schoolmaster to do what? Bring us where? To Christ. If I could leave you with one thing today, it would be that. It would be that. Where the law has degenerated into legalism by the Pharisees. Jesus now takes the law beyond outward observance to the inner spiritual intention of God. For he had come to fulfill the law and and all its fullest implications. In his earthly life, Jesus accomplished this by meeting its strictest demands and going beyond its mere outward requirements. As our Savior, Jesus not only bore our sins, but he also has established a perfect righteousness which is given to us As a gift of God, our sin was thus imputed to him and his righteousness imputed to us. Is this not awesome? I'm glad I'm studying this. I'm excited about it. People don't study this stuff anymore. They they don't. They don't roll up their sleeves. And so let's get into it. And what it's going to do is going to make us appreciate our Savior that much more. What he did for us and who he is to us today. That he imputed. You tell me, Lord, you imputed your righteousness. You, who, the only one who perfectly could fulfill the strictest, moral, spiritual sense of the law. And you've taken that, my sin, upon you. And you've taken that righteousness of you fulfilling perfectly the righteous requirements of God and given that to me. God, I'm overwhelmed. What can we say? We're thankful. Y'all stand with me this morning. Let's worship God this morning. Just begin to call upon the Lord. I'm, this is God leads you. Find a place and thank God. Find a place. If you've ridiculed the law, if you've been one of these, either a Pharisee on this side, or a legalist, or a Judaizer, or if you've been a, a hyper-grace on this side, and, and, and or something in between, or never, maybe you just never thought that much about it. Would you just begin to thank God and call upon the Lord. Oh God, we come before you.